very warm welcome to the Posterity Podcast with me, Nigel Dugdale. The Posterity Podcast is brought to you by the Limerick Post, working in association with Limerick City Community Radio. Hello there and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Posterity Podcast and to all of you who've been giving me feedback over the last weeks and months. I just want to thank you so much. It's been very much appreciated. And for this episode, I'm delighted to welcome on board Foot Solutions, who are based, of course, at number two O'Connell Street. Foot Solutions have kindly come on board as a sponsor of the Posterity Podcast. And for those of you who don't know what Foot Solutions do, this is it. Foot, Foot Solutions know that no two feet are the same and that's why they're going goal is to work with you to understand what's going on with your feet and how it impacts your lifestyle. They help customers of all age groups and for those who have specific pain to those who present injury or those who are simply looking for comfortable shoes, they have everything that you could possibly need. They use the latest technology to identify any issues that you might have. You can contact Foot Solutions at 061-404-849. I'm delighted to be joined in studio for this podcast by the Executive Director of the Lime Tree Theatre and the Bell Table, Louise Donlan. Louise, you're very welcome to the studio. Thank you very much, Nigel. Lovely to be here. Louise, we'll get into the 10th anniversary of the Lime Tree because I remember Mike Finneran, who at the time was helping to behind the scenes make it look like a theatre and I remember being brought onto the stage before it was finished and feeling oh my god we're going to be so that's 10 years ago we'll get into that tell me about your background I mean obviously you're not a Limerick woman you've been here for 10 years but um, tell me about your background well where do you want to start I'm originally from Longford and I went to college in Maynooth and I did a degree in music uh, a BA in music and history um, and subsequently to that, I, at that time, um, there weren't that many options going, so I went into teaching, secondary school teaching, which I really didn't like. I'd spent four years teaching music, got out of it as quickly as I could, and went back to college to do arts administration in UCD. And that has really, that's how I got working in the arts, how I started working in the arts. Um, very quick summary, the first job I had was with the Arts Council uh, and then I was in Limerick. Uh, I took, got the got a job working in theatre in Limerick with Island Theatre Company. If you remember back in, God, I suppose the late 80s, uh, early 90s, uh, Lime Tree Theatre, um, Island Theatre Company was first funded by the Arts Council and myself and Terry Devon were the first two employees hired at the same time. So that was 1993. Based, I presume, out of the old church there Correct. on Kings Island. St. Mary's, the beautiful St. Mary's Church. Yeah. Yes. So many happy days there. So that's, and that's obviously when I first came to Limerick and I loved Limerick, really loved it. Um, just just come back to your, I mean, music. Um, were you a cultured family? Where did the music come from? At what point, you know, in your childhood did you say, did you realise, oh, culture is going to be my Yeah, my it's no, not particularly, not more than any any other. Um, my, like I said, we I grew up on a farm. Uh, my parents were always very interested in uh, well, I suppose my I suppose my mother principally she would have done music in secondary school, and then when we were coming along to do music, she sent us in to to, to learn piano. Funnily enough, in those days, it was just the girls; none of the two boys had no interest. Uh, but the f- three, three, all four of us, in fact, yeah, were 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 uh, encouraged to take play the piano, which we did. 
Um, and I was the only one who kind of stuck with it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, went to secondary school and in secondary school, of course, we were brought to all the usual Shakespeare shows and whatever else was going on. We always did a school musical, which was a big highlight of the year, every year. Uh, anybody who knows Regina Nathan, uh, who is now based out in Ennis, great uh, soprano. Regina was in school with me. She was two years ahead of me, I think, two or three years ahead of me. And she was always the star soprano in our school musicals. Um, so we, uh, from that, I mean, my earliest memory uh, is being brought to see She Stoops to Conquer in the next parish. Uh, now, who was doing it? I have no idea, but it was an absolutely fantastic night. So we were brought to things as kids. And then I just, like my sisters stopped doing music after their leaving cert. They didn't continue on. And, and in fact, one, my eldest sister tells me she can't, she did great eight, eight piano, but now she sits at the piano and has can't can just about play a scale. She's forgotten. If I asked this it. to some of the guests. I mean, if if I had met you when you were a twelve-year-old going into secondary school, mm. and I was to say, "What do you want to be?" What would you have said at that age? Oh my goodness! Uh, I probably wouldn't have known, but I would have to. It would have been something to do with music. Would it? it so would, it was definitely yes. something that was in you, and you kind of yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, very much so. Yes, I, 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 maybe not at 12, but certainly 13, 14, I loved the musicals. I just loved that. And the idea that you could sing for a living was amazing to me. So arts administration and working with Ireland and get, you know, the Arts Council, what's been over the last, you know, the last few decades that you've been working in on that scene? What's the biggest change you've seen in Ireland in the, the sort of the cultural scene? I suppose it's the venues, when I started out, there was the Bell Table, there was Hawkswell in Sligo, and there was a North Centre in Wexford. And that was it. There were no other uh, publicly funded venues in all the counties Oh, really? The so Limerick was actually ahead of its time Limerick, in terms of having one. Absolutely. Oh, no, Limerick was, uh, was very much on everyone's radar. Uh, the Bell Table was as iconic as it is in Limerick. It is also iconic within the sector. It was really the the, the first and, and Breed Dukes had a, you know, and everybody knows Breed and she, you know, built up a huge reputation. Everybody wanted to tr to travel to Limerick then, obviously, because or to tour to Limerick. Um, it, yeah, no, it, I remember being in the Arts Council and dealing with issues around venues, perhaps, and, and there were three. That was it. There was, there was, whereas now there are 56 venues funded by the Arts Council. So that's been really the enorm the, the biggest change. And they, it all, they all came really quite quickly together, starting in around 1997, 98, through into the early 2000s. Um, I think it was Michael D. Higgins, when he was the Minister for the Arts, he was the first man to introduce a capital scheme for the building of arts centres. And then local authorities took up that mantle and, and built, built a lot And in your career, talk to me about the various places you've worked, because mm. theatre people or cultural people tend to be transient, don't they? They like yes. to move. No, absolutely. And after Limerick, I went to Galway and worked at uh, Druid. I was general manager of Druid for three years. Um, uh, at what point in, in Druid's career was that now? That we was looking? just, uh, it, the company was 21 when I joined. The week I joined, the company was celebrating its 21st birthday. The following year, uh, or well, was it the following year, the year after, basically Martin McDonough took off. So I was there when Druid won the Four Tonys on Broadway. Remember being at the after party, waiting, you know, 
corralling Gary Hines into a corner to try and get her to talk to David Handley, it would have been on Morning Ireland because it had just happened, you know, that uh, the amazing review had come out from the, the New York Times. So, yeah, all of that was... Uh, and I remember studying theatre at the time in drama, yes, drama in Trinity at the time, and it was at that Martin McDonough phase. And I remember the, there was the trilogy, wasn't there? That's the, right. the Linan trilogy, and it yeah. was an experience to go. And, mm. and Druid opened my eyes because you, there was something about Druid that was quality, yeah. wasn't it? What was That's it about Druid? And what is it about Druid? Well, I suppose it's the... It's the the artistic leadership. I mean, just Gary is a really amazing director. She she can you know draw out wonderful nuance from 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 work, whether it's John B. Keane or Martin McDonough or Chekhov. She's just you know that's 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 her strength and um, built up as well over the years when when they first started when Drew started back in the nineteen seventies, they built up a local audience. You know bit by bit and, you know, hugely loyal uh, uh, fan base. But, you know, you can have that, but if you fundamentally aren't doing the work, if the work isn't of a high quality, people won't stay with you. Whereas Gary has, uh, just has a unique talent, you know. So after Druid, you moved where? So after Druid, that's when I went to Leash, in County Leash, when the Donna Art Centre was one of the art centres built. It, It opened in May 1999. And uh, yeah, I went in as the first director there, uh, based at Leash County Council for the first two or three months while the building was being completed. And then uh, it opened in May 1999. Yeah, well over 20 years ago now. And you stayed how long in Leash? Stayed there 12 years. Right. And yeah, and and yeah, that's it. The, you know, after after ten years, you, uh, I'm not saying this is definitely going to have me again. But you kind of feel like okay, you <laughs> itchy know, itchy feet. Yeah, <laughs> for us, perhaps it's time to move on. But uh, I, I, and I, I didn't necessarily have itchy feet. I didn't. But when I saw the advertisement for the theatre in uh, MIC, I was really, I was really taken by it. I was kind of, I was kind of. First of all, I was thinking, my God, that's brave open a new 500-seat theatre in Limerick. But knowing the sector in Limerick as well, I said, God, yeah, that's, that's probably what's needed because the bell table had, over time and with the renovation, um, all the other newly built art centres began to eclipse the bell table in many ways because the stage was always so tiny. Capacity wasn't huge. And then you had Glore built out in Ennis 10 years, no, 15 years previously, um, so an awful lot of the bigger shows, because they couldn't fit on the bell table stage, figured, sure, we're going to the Midwest, we'll go to Ennis, we'll bring the audience out from Limerick. But that actually really didn't happen. Mm. And, and it, it doesn't happen. People like to go to see the work in, at home, in, in the place that they live. And so um, I just felt that there was, there was a real opportunity. So I, I kind of went along thinking, well, let's see, let's see how this goes. But then I was offered the job and then I got to think, oh my gosh, so did you step in as a in a temporary capacity initially, no, no, or I adver- no? The, or you you the went job for the job, was yes. Okay, and I I went for it. Yeah, Louise, talk to people about you know because people forget maybe they might take it for granted. I mean, you would have had University Concert Hall in Limerick and the Bell Table were probably our two venues really that were working. Um, Taking on a new venue from start to finish, I'm not going to ask you to tell me the, in the days, you know, the ins and outs of everyday work, but it's a massive undertaking to develop a presence, first of all. Mm, yeah. And I presume, and going back to what Mike Finneran was doing that day, he showed me, Mike played a huge role in terms of um, 
how it felt as a theatre and also how it was equipped as a theatre because really yeah. it does also function as a lecture hall am I yeah, right? That's so, right so working you know in working alongside a university mm. to create a public venue as well by mm. by evening time what are the challenges there? Oh yeah I mean it was it was a huge challenge I mean it was really exciting as well because you did feel that this was like for instance there is no theatre of that size independently available to a whole pile of different companies in Dublin because You've got the Abbey, but the Abbey does its own programme. And the next theatre, size-wise, would be Project, which is 220 seats. So there's there's a huge lack of a mid-size venue in the capital city. And here was one being opened in Limerick, 510 seats, big enough for the, you know, to, to make a difference in terms of capacity and what you could take in on the box office, but not so big that... Uh, if 100 or 200 people, which can often be the size of a theatre audience, don't feel completely lost in it. And obviously as well, the proscenium arch is there, the full setting setup of a theatre with the lights and, and uh, um, all the equipment that's needed there that you didn't have to build every time you, you'd go into, which was the case in the concert hall from, from what I believe, and, and still is, you know, when they have to, they have to build a proscenium arch when they're doing a theatre uh, show. So... Um, what Mike did and uh, what Mary Mackley College did really was hugely significant. And they, 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 you're right, they made a venue that was equally as um, uh, at home, say, for lectures during the week, during the day, but also would transform into a very comfortable venue that people would like to, to come into. And when, when we first... Yeah, when it, when it first opened, it was an enormous challenge. But I suppose I had done it before. I, I think it might have been harder had I not done it, had gone straight into it. But the fact that I had opened the Donamace and started that from scratch in a much smaller place. Um, You'd been that soldier. I'd so been you, that yeah. soldier and I knew, I knew where the, pitfall were, the pitfalls were. I could watch out for those. And, but also I knew where the opportunities were. And for me, uh, like one of the... One of the like I, I I do remember being really clear that the first three months have to be so clear in terms of what we're going to be presenting to the audiences of Limerick, and and I mean it did take us four, five, six years to really get embedded that people knew who we were and where we were. But those first three months, so it was one of the, my key aims was to make sure or to try and and get a, a show um, into the theatre that would not have been seen. In the, in the previous 20 years in Limerick. And that's, I went straight for the Abbey, straight to the top, went to the Abbey Theatre, sort of, guys, are you on tour? Would you be interested in coming? Just bringing whatever you have in, in, in to Limerick for a week. Uh, and they did. And that's when we, and that's how we opened with the Plow and, and the Stars. And the Stars was yeah. the opening. So we made, yeah. we really wanted to make a big bang uh, and, and sort of, I suppose, set the agenda for how we wanted uh uh, and what's been interesting is we've seen the Abbey now come regularly yeah, and regularly. Limerick would not have had the Abbey for a long, long time. I don't know, had they had they toured before? They probably uh, had. Oh, they had, but maybe, uh, I, I don't know, they, they were in the bell table, but would probably with a smaller with a small show, production, maybe yeah. a Peacock show or something, yeah. Um, but but even with that, it had been quite a number of years. I, I think we figured at the time in 2012 that it was about 20 years since the Abbey had been performed in Limerick. And what was the biggest challenge that you that you came across around that time? Was there anything that really stands Just out? Just getting, 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 getting it open. Getting, not so much getting it open, but getting, getting it recognised and people knowing where we were mm. and building an audience. And it didn't happen 
you know, in the first year. I mean, it took a long, long time. And what we, in terms of setting a map, we would have felt that the first five years is finding our feet, consolidating ourselves, our name, and making sure people know where we are. And and it, it, it kind of took that amount of time, really, with, with across the... What I've loved with the bell table, with um, the lime tree and, and the bell table, and we come to the bell table mm. story, you know, because that wasn't part of the initial... No, no, um, not, we, at, we, all. not but, at all. But, but actually, let me get onto this. The bell okay. table, how did that... I mean, obviously, it had existed. Yes, I think it was, it was run by the local authority, am I right, at the no, time? Or was no, it, a, it was separate, a separate, separate company, entity? Okay. Yeah, um, even from the early days, it was set up as a separate company. It rented the space. It, the building was owned by the Irish Confraternity Credit Union, so it was rented from them, uh, and but but the Arts Council very quickly, I think back in the early eighties, came in quickly and, and and began to fund it as a venue, uh, and they built up their uh, reputation and and the funding. Um, we opened in October twenty twelve, and then the Bell Table. Uh, when I came to Limerick, there was a lot of un I suppose what what's the word uncertainty around Bell Table, and then in. Three or four months later, in it didn't reopen in after Christmas 2012. So we were open together at the same time for about three months, two months, and then uh, it didn't reopen after Christmas because of it was basically forced into liquidation um, by a creditor, a major creditor. So um, it was, I suppose, it was a, it was a huge shock and obviously very difficult for the people who were affected by that liquidation. Um, even it was anecdotally said, oh, the Lime Tree Theatre closed the bell table. But sure, you know, we not at all. We we were hardly, we, people had hardly kind of, we'd hardly kind of um, registered on on, a, on on the whole... Um, Agen- cultural agenda, agenda, Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, before the bell table was closed. So it remained closed for about nine months. And over the, at, the, at that period, we were approached, the council then... So that the building, I mean, the building was really important and the, the tradition of the Belt was so important. Everyone agreed. The Arts Council had allocated funding for 2013, but that couldn't be given to the building because or given to the company because it was closed. So um, there was a three-way conversation. We were approached by the City Council. They, they bought the building. They were approached by the City Council to ask us to run it. Um now, initially, I was kind of thinking, oh, gosh, no, we, 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 need, to, we need to find our own identity first before we start taking on and and like the bell table is such an iconic name you know the last thing we wanted was to you know to to Be find taking it in as if it's an aside yeah. yes exactly so um and and as well as that the lime tree theater as a company had only been in existence for maybe seven or eight months uh, now, I, I do feel I was known as a person who had come from, I'd been working in the subsidised sector for all my career. Uh, so um, so people knew my, my reputation and I had successfully set up an organisation and, uh, and secured Arts Council funding for it in Leash, uh, a venue there. So I suppose I had that, at least I had that kind of... Um, body of work behind me that I, I that I, I went to in combination with the with the city council. We went to the Arts Council and said, look, I'm willing to take this on uh, if you're willing to trust us with this. So now we didn't, it, they didn't say yes immediately. We did a pilot, a, a pilot called the Limerick Arts Experiment, where the Arts Council allocated us a proportion of the money that they would have allocated to the bell table. Uh, and they asked us then to program for about, it wasn't a full year, it was about six six months from September uh, 2013 into early 2014. And 
of course, Limerick City of Culture was on the horizon as well. So the Arts Council and the County Council were really, or the City Council were really important, really worried or wanted to make sure that the bell table would be back open in time for Limerick City of Culture. So, um, so we did that, and I suppose it just took off from there. We programmed, we tried to, and it, it, it kind of, I was eventually convinced because it, it's, it kind of made sense. You've got, you don't need two companies, two big arts organisation running two venues in a city where the where the where the work that we're presenting is very very similar. Like people would say, well, sure, you have the concert hall in the Lime Street, but the concert hall is a very different kind of programming policy, and it's a different. It's a bigger space, and it can take much bigger um, uh, uh, productions. Productions, yeah. exactly, uh, and and very much focused on, or, or particularly focused on music, but you know, music, comedy, and and, and the, the bigger scale work. So, but but the bell table and the lime tree would be very much, very much more similar because it's a lot, an awful lot of it is theatre and performance. Uh, um, so we felt then that okay, well then we can put the larger scale stuff, the likes of the Abbey, Ballet Ireland, Opera Theatre Company, or as it became known, um, um, Irish National Opera. Th- those larger scale works, they could just go into the uh, the Lime Tree Theatre and then where you have the smaller developmental work, which which doesn't attract a large, a large audience and also doesn't need huge a huge theatre space because they tend to be designed for smaller spaces, would go into the bell table. So that complementarity worked really, really well. Uh, started off in 2014 and I think we have managed to um, continue that fairly successfully. We, we also focus... The artist development, because that's one other that problem. When when Island Theatre Company closed in the late two thousands, mm. I think two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you know there, there was no place for a lot a lot of actors and artists, theatre artists, to get work, and many of them moved to Dublin, and that loss, that brain drain as well from the sector was, you know. We killed the scene. I mean, it didn't lose everybody. We no. didn't lose some people are still here, but still, you need that critical mass as well. Mm. Uh, and and that was lost. So the the, the Bell Table Connect program it, within Bell Table has been really important in trying to build that um, that back up and try and keep people here as they as they start graduating from the BA Cats program in M- MIC or from the uh, World Academy. And I want to stop well. you there because what's been really interesting watching all of this is the fact that you know you've Bell Table Connect. You have a space above the Bell Table now that people can use to rehearse or write. You've got an artist in residence. You've developed the Bula Boss. Um, children's mm. uh, festival yeah. you know there's links with Branner Theatre Company and underneath that Dr Mike Finneran and part of the team mm. developed a, a, a drama in Mary Eye is yeah, it, it's right. a degree course isn't yes, it so right. you're now pre- so it's sort of like things that I had to travel to Dublin for or even London in some regards years and years ago is now on our doorstep and I forget sometimes that this stuff is happening under our noses and listeners mightn't realise that what is going on between those two venues yeah. and and also, by the way, Mary Immaculate, anybody who hasn't seen a Midas, Midas is the Mary Immaculate uh, Drama Society, mm-hmm. anyone who hasn't seen a musical created by them, it's just insanely good. So there's a lot of creativity bubbling under between those two venues isn't and, there? And, and there is and it takes it takes time to to develop that like it, you're right bubbling is a very good good word for it because it's like having a big pot and putting your ingredients in the pot and you put the flame underneath it and it bubbles away and you know it takes it takes years something like that doesn't develop you know immediately uh 
it, it takes it takes a long time to build up. First of all, I suppose you also have to build up trust. You have to build up trust with funders. You have to build up trust with the local authority. You have to build up trust with your audience that they know what they're going to get when they come to the, the theatre, uh, be that the lime tree or, or, or bell table. And so all of that takes, it takes time. And then it takes a lot of interaction between uh, us, between us and, and, as you say, MIC, um, you know, and you're right, the Midas shows, oh, they always blew me away. And I kind of, you know, you really felt that uh, inherent in this college with all these young people all around us, there's a, there's a, a huge depth of talent, of singing, music, acting, talent. And they're all, you know, the students actually have said on, you know, those feedback forms, that they come, and many of them come to Mary Eye because of Midas. They're really so much interested. They're, they really want to sing. And they might they might be doing primary school teaching. They might be doing an arts degree. Uh, they might be doing early childhood. It's, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be doing BA Cats, which is the Conte- uh, Contemporary and Applied Theatre Studies programme. It's it's across the whole college, and it's 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 really amazing to see. And that phrase, bubbling, is very interesting. I want to go back to the year, because funnily enough, I watched a thing the other night that you... You laugh at me, but it was that famous meeting that was held in the Strand in the in the in the, in the where was it? It was in the it Clarion was Hotel. The Clarion, now the and now it the was it was a night where everybody got together to vent about what was happening with boards and stuff like that. Mm. But watching it back, and I just happened to come across it. It was almost like um, it was it was like better than watching a Netflix drama, to be honest with you. But watching it back, I realised the passion and energy that was in the room at the time, and that was a moment when people did have to sit back and go, okay, which direction are we going with City of Culture? Subsequently, and it's mad to think that we're now twenty twenty two, so we're actually eight years out mm. of City of Culture. It only seems like yesterday. Mm. Did we reap? what we could have sowed or did we sow and reap what we'd sowed or did we maybe put the wrong fertilizer on it or did you're using the farming analogies but you know what I mean have we managed did we miss an opportunity is the question I don't think so um that those first couple of months were pretty horrendous for anybody who was close to it and knew the people on both sides as I did and being caught in the middle was really quite difficult um but after myself, Mary Conlon, and um, oh, I can't think of the, 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 the was James James Lawler were appointed to the board of Limerick City of Culture. Now I'm not saying that had anything to do with it, but but I think after the um, after everything settled down, shall we say, um, it uh, the the second half of the year, and I think the granny really blew blew an awful lot of of bad feeling out of the water in the sense that it, it, it moved on and people remember... The puppet show turned out to be the saviour. It, it yeah. turned out to be the, the saviour. Now, yeah, horrendously expensive. But very often, something like that, you need something like that to really transform people's attitudes to the city. And one of the key things that people said to me about that particular thing was that they looked up for the very first time because they were looking up at the granny. She was whatever store, three or four stories high. So in order to view her, you were standing on the side of the street and you were looking up. And suddenly you were, you were looking up at all this wonderful Georgian architecture that an awful lot of the time, people who live in the city are just, you're so used to it. Uh, and I, that is one thing that if I could, if I could impinge on the people of Limerick coming here in 2012 and people who, who lived here all their lives. Now, I know many of them do appreciate it, but, there's a, but there is a sense that people don't really look up 
at above it's their amazing heads. you say that. When I lived in London, there was a campaign. I keep quoting it because I used to work in Soho and I'd often walk down towards the Houses of Parliament um, to go over the bridge back home to Kennington where I lived. And uh, on poles along the route, there were little silver dials, but they were at eye level. Right. And it just said, look up. They were strategically placed. It was a very clever. It was a campaign that they'd done. And when you did look up, you saw it could have been a, the old palace that's there at the side of um, Whitehall. Or, and it is like that. And if you walk up William Street mm. and look mm. up above the Centra shop, yes. you'll yeah. see these buildings that if you haven't looked up before, you're going, that's whoa, right. yeah. we could actually go back to having a nice public realm here on mm. those. But yes, is the, you are right. That's what that peace granny did it yeah. opened your eyes but as well as that I suppose it it, it kind of it, 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 it I felt it it was it did mark a point where, where where the trust started to be built again because the trust did really break down between the art sector and um, the, the local authority and you know it was it was it was it was a difficult time it really was a diff, quite a difficult time but over over the years I think that trust has been built up and it's been built up because I guess you know, the art sector were able to show what they could do, and through by starting with this enormous uh, event, and then you know slowly but surely continue to present new work to de- start develop to you know join up with other like minded artists to create new work, and and over time I think that has started to uh, to to reap rewards. Now, looking at the cultural scene in Limerick, and, you know, we're out, and I don't want to just keep banging on, it's not always about festivals. The fe- I remember Brian Singleton, who was my lecturer in, dr- in drama, and Trinity, he hated the idea of the festivalization of culture, and meaning that you only went in for mm. a weekend and filled yourself and didn't go again. But, you know, we had a festival last weekend. There's been a bit of criticism around, you know, content, was it programmed, wasn't it programmed, you know, if you were to take certain aspects away from the River Fest, do we actually have anything? And having said that, then I was at Dingle for the weekend and yet you had 150 curated events and mm. Pagan Rave being in the middle of it, you know, mm. and it was a magnificent um, experience in the town. Now, is Limerick missing a trick when it comes to a proper cultural festival that takes over the city you know that really and we're putting theatre drama music performance poetry Mm. all right at the heart of it and you know I suppose where I'm coming from is could Riverfest eventually become something that is an artistically led Riverfest rather than a sausage fest in a tent in the park well well, what I was going to say to you is that I I hear I I do see the criticism I, I would say I don't think it's meant to be an arts festival so, and not all festivals have to be arts festivals. And that's very fair, yeah. You know, so, and I think that's not how it was designed. And, uh, you know, I would say, let them off. It's a great festival for what it does. Uh, and it brings a lot of people into the city. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there probably are individually, you know, items or things within the festival that might not work. But... That's no reason not to do it. You've got to you've got to revisit. Then, if things aren't working, let's let's so try something else. So, as you say, different. treat Riverfest as an ex- exercise in getting people to visit Limerick and enjoy themselves without having anything else on the agenda. Do you know what I mean? And well, that's uh, kind well, of well. In terms of, of an arts festival, I'm only to approach it yeah. from an arts festival or an arts point of view. I don't think um, I think Riverfest can 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 live as Riverfest, but mm. it uh, but it's not an arts festival, and I don't think it tries to sell itself as an arts festival. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't view it as an arts festival. Um, and 
But in terms of, of developing a festival, any festival, that you, any successful festival that you have uh, throughout the country, starting with the Galway International Arts Festival, which started in 1976. And what people forget about the Galway International Arts Festival when it was the Galway Arts Festival in 1976, for 10 years, it it wasn't a full-time festival and people, you know, really were, pulled together, you know, year in, year out and really, you know, uh, at any time it could have collapsed. But one year then they got brought in El Comediante from Spain. They got the funding to do that and that's when they, they, they really went out into the streets. A bit like the granny, I, I, I suppose. I, I, I don't know. I don't remember seeing it, but it, that was very much seen as the turning point for Galway. And suddenly... But it had been going for a long time, done on... It had, on, on shoestring. On, mm-hmm. on, yeah, on a shoestring. And then, but then, I suppose, then there was, there was a, a, a pinch point when people realised, hold on a minute, we really, the people who fund these things realised, we really should be putting more support into this. And... And that's when it began to really expand. But fundamentally, and you look at Kilkenny, you look at Waterford Spree, they're all started by, a, you know, a key group, a single person maybe who's leading, you know, a, a key artistic person or a group of really dedicated individuals um, who get the thing going up and running. And that's why I was really, and I think everybody was, devastated to lose Elemental. Elemental had that, it had the the potential to be the festival for Limerick. But the problem was, and with all of these festivals, and, and we're facing it now ourselves again with Future Limerick that this new climate arts festival we're, we're, we're uh, uh, hosting. It's, it's that stickability. We can't do these festivals without proper funding. And yes, for one or two or three years, you know, nowadays, you know, the, the, this, the, the landscape has very much changed from the mid-70s. People can't live in the dole for five or six years and, and continue kind of work on the sideline. Um, they, so we, you know, the, the festivals need to be have, have fine funding and, and the funders need to stick with them and to have faith in and then you build it and expand it and bring in work that people want to see and that people will come and see. And and that's, uh, for me, just what, looking back down through the years at all the various festivals that there have been in Ireland, the, the, the core grassroots festivals are the ones that survive. You can't impose, you can't decide, let's have a festival next week in, or next year in Limerick and we'll, we'll put in 500,000 euro into it or, or that we could. But, you know, it, even if you did that, I think it wouldn't work. You need to have buy-in from the local community. On that point, you were saying that the, the, the landscape has changed and all of that. I often wonder, because I see a lot of debate around, I won't do anything unless I get funding. Or some people who, I will do loads and loads in the hope I'll get funding and then I don't. Mm. And then people who maybe get regular funding all the time because they have established a track record. You know, it must be very difficult nowadays, as you say, you know, back with that example in Galway of people who will stick together for a number of years and fight their corner and, you know, keep doing stuff. And maybe people will do stuff for free. There's very little it's that people will now. do yeah. for free You can't now. do that now. Yeah. No, yeah, you know, I, know, I accept that. You, you, we're never going to be like the way it was in the 70s in Galway and, 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 and Kilkenny and other places where those festivals started. It is, it's very different. So how does the model change, Louise, and that, you know, because I'd be interested in, is it therefore about the pitch, you know, the Dragon's Den, it's somebody who's got such a brilliant idea for a festival, or is it that they maybe do what Elemental did for a few years, which was to try and establish a brand and a name, and then 
you make a decision mm. then or if I had the answer to that, to that yeah Nigel I'd be down and, and then sometimes people look to us as the line to the bell table would you not organise a festival and uh, it's like we, we are out we, we're, our heads are bursting with the amount of work we have to do already running two venues we simply wouldn't have we just don't we would, I'd love to see a festival an arts festival and if there was one I'd be like as we've done with the, with the bell table for a uh, bell table lounge for the uh, the um, future Limerick festival that's happening in the middle of May, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Because, uh, yeah, you know where where we 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 get an idea. Um, we have two uh, people approach us, uh, Eve O'Connor and Hildegard Ryan from Sunday's Child Theatre Company, wanting to do this festival. They put in the application for funding, got the funding, and so we said yes. Well, we'll we'll blank out both our our venues, and you know for for that week. Go away and find you, get the funding, and absolutely, we'll 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 facilitate because they're just two people. They they don't have a big administration. We can provide the administration and support, technical support, all of that. But but we can't. We we couldn't start from scratch ourselves because we just simply don't. But it was even interesting it. watching the Dingle experience on the weekend. And you know, we had a big discussion one night after the pagan rave, and it was about the whole health and safety element that has cropped in. You know, unnecessary. For, mm. But there probably was a time when. You That's could right. have got away with murder yeah. and done anything. You could have burned things, you could have done whatever, and no one would have ever yeah. batted an eyelid. And now you can't do that. So there's a huge element of that, there which is, is yeah. a barricade entry in the first place. Exactly. And and and, and in fact, the, all of that uh, health and safety risk assessments that, that have to be done for the festival, we've taken that on. Like Hildy and, and, and Eva are a small theatre company, two-person two theatre company, um, the whole gamut of all of that, they just, they wouldn't have, again, they wouldn't have the capacity there and their focus is on the creative side of things to program the festival. So that's what um, the, the, the Lime Tree Theatre can bring as an organisation. So just that using that as an support. example, explain to listeners, there is a festival, it's got, yes. a, it's got a brief behind it, it's got an idea behind it and it's coming in about, you know, when it, it's next week, isn't it? In May the... 14th. 14th of May. 21st. Okay. So explain, because that's an interesting concept. So like this Apologies, festival. 16th, 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 16th until the 21st. 21st. Yeah. So this is an idea. It's two people. They come and they present you with an idea and you've decided, yeah, I love that. So just mm -hmm. explain to listeners what this is about now. So basically it's a festival of arts, uh, performing arts and visual arts, which focuses on the theme or attempts to focus the theme on climate change and to, uh, I suppose, start a discussion among our audiences. Uh, there's there's plenty of discussion going on anyway, but it's a, it's it's just a way within six, seven days to very much focus on an arts response to climate change. And um, I, I suppose the, 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 the topic of climate change is so, it's so urgent. Uh, we were kind of surprised that they're actually isn't a, this is the very first arts festival in Ireland certainly that um, focuses uses creativity and culture around, around something the, so it's pressing. around the issue of, of climate change yeah so um, so we're very proud of that I, Eva and Hildy had uh, the Sunday Child Theatre Company Eva O'Connor is originally from Ogunaloo in County Clare and a very talented theatre artist she won a fringe first in Edinburgh just before Covid in, in uh, August 2019 for her play Mustard Um so they had, uh, they've written a play called A Float and it had been presented uh, in the Dublin Theatre Festival, I think, a couple of years ago. And it, it basically is about uh, Dublin under, uh, it's set in Dublin under uh, underwater, uh, essentially. Lovely. 
And uh, so they that was that was the kind of the core point said we really want to present this play in, in Limerick. It's a really important play. But you know what? Not just this play. We want to talk, we want to start a conversation about the whole issue of climate change. So the, 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 the fundamental part of that, though, was finding funding. And that's when they made an application to the ESB under the Brighter uh, Futures uh, Award Scheme that the ESB run. And um, thankfully, they only only six uh, projects were funded. The um, Future Limerick was the first, is the first iteration and received €40,000 from ESB. A fabulous amount of money. Uh, n- not enough, because our full budget is closer to about sixty five. 70, depending on, uh, you know, how things go. And that's been, um, where is that extra? That's what it costs. That's what it costs to run a week, a seven-day festival in in a city. So just just for listeners again, you know, and and I think the reason I ask you a lot about these questions about the festivals, I think it's very easy to be critical and I can be, you know, the the worst of it. But when you do know that it doesn't just happen overnight and you can't just have these things. Talk to me about what's in this festival because there's some interesting, there's something interesting events for people. It's not just kids, isn't it not? It's, 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 Oh, no, no, it's not. in, in, In fact, it's, it's 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 for everybody. Uh, there are some uh, f- um, events which are focused uh, or, or uh, aimed at, at children and families, but by by no means uh, exclusively. For instance, we're showing River, <clears throat> which is a beautiful documentary about how mankind has dammed and redirected and mined rivers across the centuries, and while initially, you know. N- in obviously, you know, pre the industrial revolution, that didn't have uh, an enormous effect. But since in the last hundred and hundred fifty years, the, the devastation, I suppose, to river ecology and how it has affected the, the rivers and how it affects the environment. Uh, so, really important film to see. We're showing we we have um, we're we're showing uh, screenings for schools, which are. Certainly one is sold out. The second screening, I think, is, is still on sale. And then a screening in the evening uh, at 8 o'clock. Um, and I suppose people can get a, get a sense then of, 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 of globally, you know, what's happening. Uh, then you've got, obviously, a float that I mentioned earlier, which is a theatre piece in, in the Bell Table. We've got um, Colm O'Regan, climate warrior. He's a stand-up comedian. Uh, and then the family day, uh, family fun day in the People's Park. We obviously, being a, a climate change festival, really wanted to get it out into, um, you know, it, out into the environment. So we have a family fun day in the People's Park on Saturday the twenty first with Fidget Feet as well performing out on the, on the road just outside on in front of. And all that Church. information, by the way, is available on the Lime Tree Theatre website, which yes. is limetreetheatre.ie, and it is worth and it's looking at the and what I love is that it is a very unique festival and it's mad to think it hasn't been done already mm, in, you know yeah yeah, yeah. no because there's so much you can do with this with 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 theater and you know it's, and it's such an important it's, an, it's such an important topic you know we i mean I, I just feel there's a lack of urgency with government still about doing things that need to be done like you know I, 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 and you know they're talking at the moment about turf and stopping people cutting turf. I think they'd be an awful lot quicker and uh, uh, impactful if they basically banned people buying SUVs. Why do why do people living in cities need a huge four by four gas diesel guzzling that machine? Take up two car parking that take spaces. Up, exactly. <laughs> they should be banned now. Like and but there's no that sense of urgency isn't 
there isn't in and I suppose we want to try and you know starting small and I, I you know I'm not saying that this festival is going to make these changes but we have to we have to basically shouted from the rooftops. This and play is an your emergency. Part. Yeah. And we'll, this, is, this is what we do and this is our part to try and, and uh, highlight that, that issue, yeah. The Posterity Podcast. So, I mean, I want to talk to you a little bit about legacy and, you know, development of audiences because people forget as well and I'd say it's very much in your, you know, at the centre of everything you do. Things 20 years ago, we didn't have Netflix. We didn't have Facebook to be on all the time or Twitter mm-hmm. or and all of this. So our attention spans have been hijacked by multi-channels from yeah. various different portals. And the wellness industry is taking out sport. You know, mm-hmm. girls getting involved in sport much more now than, than maybe before. So there's a hell of a lot of stuff. It's a huge yeah, that's d- out demand there. on our time. Yeah. How do you... Well, I presume there is a challenge in developing an audience to sort of recognise culture and the attending that wonderful space that is a theatre and looking mm. and we're feeling the lights go down at eight o'clock yeah. and knowing something magical is about to happen. How do you get that across to people, not to forget it's there? <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. It's not to forget it's there. Um, I think you'll always have have that people. That's that's it's 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 innate in, in us really that we want to be together first and foremost and then to, to be together to experience wonderful work uh, artwork um, is a really special event and you know, people, all people have to do is experience that once and you know they will come They're back hooked, for yeah. more um, I think the beginning of the pandemic or the first couple of months of the pandemic it, I think it, there was very little good about that awful time but one of the things that, that it struck me about it was that people across the board for the first time even put you know we for I've been involved in the art sector for 30 years and you kind of feel that you're shouting into the, the to avoid in terms of getting political support for the arts and how important the arts are and you can't measure it in you can't measure it in pounds shillings and pence it's something that's just innate in us and that the importance of having it is is so uh, it's so well it's so important to to uh, to everybody's lives, and when the pandemic hit, and everybody wasn't allowed to go to work, but uh, in, in, in the vast majority of people had to stay at home. What did they do? What did they turn to except the arts? And I think there was a, a kind of realization. Actually, if we didn't have any of this, how my God, how 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 barren our lives would be. Uh, and so, what we have to do now is to try and and like there's a lot of muscle memory lost of people getting up and going out to the theater or to the music uh, concert hall to uh, whatever it is and th- it's 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 a battle at the moment to try and get them to come back in i know they will return i mean some of them are coming back but it's 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 like we're opening again it's like back being, being back in 2012 all over again because we have to try and you know rekindle, rekindle that love, story. That love yeah. story exactly and rekindle the habit it's not even just the love of it because i think everybody has a love of it but it's the habit of actually you know people got into the habit of staying at home in the evenings having a beer at the couch and mm. just watching netflix but we've got to you know they, they many of them do an awful lot of people did miss being in the live theater and we know that from when when they came back there was our first show in the lime tree in early February when all the restrictions were lifted was Bell X one. And it was, it was incredible to be there that when, when, when the band came out on the stage, it was an enormous round of applause. 
And at the end, of course, obviously as well. But I felt that the people actually weren't applauding the band. They were applauding themselves. They were applauding the fact that they were actually there. There was such a sense of joy. The alternate in Dingle, Louise, when Bobby McGlynn beckoned the now on fire burning man from over a ditch in Dingle on top of a crowd that had about 1,500 people and said, Tosh Haig chocked, Tosh Haig chocked. And then a beat was dropped by the DJ. Right. which told the audience you can now dance. It was incredible. Mm. I hadn't seen it in years and I don't do festivals much, but watching that yeah. number of people at the very same time just go, yes, yeah. we're, yeah. Back. Yeah, we're back. And it does. And it's just, it's, it's so wonderful to the soul mm. to see it. Um, if, you, if I was to ask you to describe um, Limerick's cultural community, I mean, you know, are we there? Are, you know, did the 2014 thing bring us together more? Is there much more of a cohesive sort of attitude? Is there things that we could possibly do better? Uh, I don't know if 2014 necessarily did it. Uh, and well, there was always, a, there's always a, a, um, a a cohesiveness to, uh, I mean, in, in every place, there is a group, there is a cultural group, cultural sector. And even, and with, and in every place within that cultural sector, there'll always be factions and there'll always be rows and there'll always be, but there'll also be people who, you know, people who come together, move apart, come together. So, you know, it's the ebb and flow of life. And I, I don't think it's, it's correct to say that it's, um, I know that they, 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 they the tension around 2014, um, you know, it, it did have some legacy, but I think that's long forgotten. Mm. It's long forgotten. But I certainly felt that the experience of 2014 and all the different people who did different things from foodie people to yeah. theatre people. No, absolutely. You opened my eyes. I mean, now I walk the bridges and I meet, there's people I now know as regular people in my lives mm. who are involved in culture in some way. Martin Shannon, I met him tonight walking mm. the river, pulling down his beautiful little pieces off trees yeah. that were put up for Riverfest. But I wouldn't have known Martin had it not been for yes. City of Culture. So I think it did allow us to meet people, yeah. you know, and yeah. get to know what people can do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I certainly think that they, uh, it also gave, like, I mean, Limerick economically is booming. And, and from that time, from 2013, 2014, you know, the, the, a huge number of companies have come into the city, you know, creating employment. And those people want culture. And they're getting it. And now we'd like to think that they can get even more of it. And we'd like to think that the, the, uh, the local authority and the Arts Council and all the other f potential funders as well, because there's a whole corporate side as well that we were not tapping into, mm. you know, that they could really <clears throat> help the, the sector build, you know, build its, build, build within the city. Um, and if, if we can, you know, maximise that funding we can really, I think we can, it, it, it can be transformative and it's already started to make a to difference. Me, yeah. you know, it really has. I'm going to be the bold boy and ask one final question because I threw it out a while back. But we've got the Dunn site in the city centre and I, I put this up on Twitter, you probably saw it and it was, it was a dream of mine for years was that I often thought, well, the university concert hall on paper was a lecture hall that, that had a dual purpose as a venue mm. and then Lime Tree came along in a similar way and both beautiful venues but not necessarily right in the heart of the city centre yes. the Lime Tree much more so and Bell Table was there but so what you have there is you've got a um, 12, 1300 seat venue, well, 1100 seat venue in UCH. Yes. Then you have the 500 seat venue in the Lime Tree. That's and right. then you have the 200 studio space in the Bell Table. Mm -hmm. 
If Europe turned to us tomorrow morning and said, right, guys, we're going to make sure that your world-class waterfront and your urban revitalization project is going to be focused on culture, meaning we're going to create a multi-spaced venue mm-hmm. in the heart, right on the waterfront, that's going to be designed by a very good architect. And I don't mean a Liebeskind, I'm not going to go that bad. If tomorrow you were told the UCH lime tree and bell table were brought into a room and were said, guys, this might happen. Would ye be open to a discussion around it and would it work? As a venue manager, right? Because I know this probably never happened. But it would be a very interesting experience to therefore have three venues in the heart of the city that cater for different productions, but all from one location that's funded partly from possible universities and also possibly European funding. Well, I go back to you and say, why do they have to be under one roof? The Lincoln Centre in New York isn't under one roof. Yep. It's um, a whole series mm-hmm. of venues that where where you have your concert hall, you have your studio development, you have your, your, your middle-of-the-road size venue. There's no reason why if... You know, the, okay, the so lot show is 175 million tonight. Supposing somebody from Limerick won 175 mm. million tonight and said, you know what, I don't want that. I'll take a million and I'll give 174 million to the city. I would say to them, let's invest that, you know, invest it in the mm-hmm. artists so that artists can create work. Does it matter if the artist puts it on or you build a magnificent um, uh, Sydney Opera House ties building on the, the riverfront? I don't think it does. Fundamentally, so the space itself you have to is not necessarily. Yeah. You have to create the work, and you have to create the conditions that the work. You have to, you know, foster the conditions that the work can be created, and then put it into the concert hall in UL or Lime Tree or Bell Table, or maybe just say, right, we're not going to do that anymore, and we'll shut them down, and we'll open three in in front of it. To me. That's not what's important. What's important is, is the work. work, the quality of the work. And and until we invest really significant amounts of money into our arts, the, the way there's been significant amount of money invested in sport, uh, in in uh, in the in industrialized, you know, the dust in the, the industrial states and, and bringing so many people in, until we give really decent investment into the arts. I would say forget about the lovely jewelry okay. buildings. You know, they, you might build it, and, and what, what what use is it if you don't have the art put into it? It's about artists fundamentally, and investing in artists' work. So when we're looking at our multinationals out there, and there are those that might listen to it who are, you know, possibly working in a multinational at a senior level, there's interesting people listen to this. I know. Um, what you would be saying is, you know, do consider not just maybe sponsoring roundabouts that have grass on them, you know, mm. that look well, that possibly think about a project or think about a, maybe a little mini festival such as the one that's happening next yeah. week or think about Bula Boss. And, and exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. We, we, and where we, we, we could be nurturing the next Gary Hines or the next Ennio Morricone or the next whoever, you know, whatever you want, what name you want to pick out. But it doesn't, just because these people, like... It, it, it could be a stroke of luck that somebody who's very talented artistically decides, oh, you know what, there's not the investment there, I'm going to go into tech and I'll be creative there. You know, so we we could be losing a lot of people who who could be creating amazing work, but they but we we don't have the support for them. And uh, like if, and for instance, when you mention uh, the corporate sector, as you probably know, we have. Um, uh, we're going to be, for the very first time in a long time, 
producing our own work on the lime tree stage in celebrating. It's it's our it's our key celebrating point for the tenth birthday. The play Red Army, written by two Limerick women who are mad monster fans. It's about monster rugby. Well, it's sort of about monster rugby, but it's really about four women who are very, very keen monster rugby fans. And it has, it's, it'll have they, they, ha, it will be able to go and see a play that has the Limerick voice on it. We won't be, you know, we. When was the last time we got to see a play which is about Limerick now in twenty first century? Uh, and in order to do that, it, it really. It, it needs significant investment. And we did get some investment from uh, from the corporate sector. But, you know, it, it, it's we need we need you much need more. more of that. And by the way, one thing I will give credit for, and we're, we're slightly running over, but, you know, last year, you know, but during the pandemic when we were allowed to do some things and you taking that and um, waiting for Poirot and transforming mm. the People's Park using lighting that I think now has been rolled out elsewhere, which is showing how theatricality and elements mm. of can affect an urban environment. Yes. Um, so that was another project. And that's showing all of these little things. Le- listeners may not recognize that. I think a lot of the drama of a city is influenced by you know, yeah. the drama of theatre. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, we build sets we build in our yes. buildings. We light them then. We we have people milling by as characters on the streets. So they're all, it's theatre. Um, and, and Waiting for Poirot, we really wanted to do something like that again this year, but we couldn't because we didn't have the funding. It's all there the you go. And that's problem. why they don't happen again, everybody. Yeah. Um, final question for you. Um, if... In 20 years' time, we're in Camillus's. I say this to everyone at the very end, and we're lying looking at each other. You're maybe down in the female ward, and I'm looking at you through the glass saying, hello, Louise. Um, what would you like us to sit down and say, wasn't that a wonderful time and the legacy we left because we did X, Y, and Z? What little things would you like to to be proud of? Oh, my goodness. That's um, that's a hard one, actually. Um, I'd, I'd love if there was... Uh, uh, an industry, an arts industry that we that we become so consolidated that it, you know that there was there wasn't only you know I don't know how many or arts organisations there are in Limerick, uh, but there aren't enough and there aren't enough artists working full time doing creating art, and I suppose if if I'm looking back in twenty years time, it would be great to think that we created a sector that has blossomed and that has, has maybe, maybe we've created a play that ends up on the West End. Maybe that would, but, you know, we're not there yet, but if we, and we might never get there, but isn't it, isn't it, it'll be great fun doing the process, building the process to maybe make that happen. And I think in hindsight, when you look at the 10 years and it's mad to think 10 years is, is up at this stage for the lime tree and the bell table, but the, What's been achieved already is huge. And hopefully in another 10 years, you may not be here because if you have that 10-year 10 10 years, age, I definitely yeah. won't be here in 10 years. I can't say when. <laughs> but, there, but the point is you've sown a seed and and I take the point that some of the some of the legacy and some of the stuff, the actual end result of all of this may not be seen for another 20 years. So it'll yeah. be a really interesting time to watch. Yeah. Louise Donlan, thank you so much for coming in and best of luck with the festival and best of luck with them. Um, the next 10 years of the Lime Tree. Thank you very much, Nigel. You've been listening to the Posterity Podcast with me, Nigel Dugdale, produced by the Limerick Post in association with Limerick City Community Radio. Theme tune composed by David Blake and performed by the Brad Pitt Light Orchestra. 
If you want to get in touch with me or suggest any future guests, you can contact me directly on Twitter at Limerick City Biz or you can contact the Limerick Post at Limerick Post. Thank you.